Welcome to the latest FT Advisor podcast, this time with me, Elisha Vakissin, a trainee reporter currently with FT Advisor. Our topic today is buy now, pay later. Take a deep breath, it's a controversial one. Advisors notoriously aren't fans, but the truth is, it's becoming part of our lives, whether we like it or not. For those that need a refresher, buy now, pay later, which I'll refer to as BNPL, is short-term financing that allows consumers to make purchases and pay for them over time. But as of 2022, more than 17 million consumers in the UK have used BNPL services. That's 54% of millennials who've used BNPL service or a BNPL service. In fact, it's become so widespread that even Apple has just launched its own BNPL product. And the cost of living crisis has a big part to play in this. Research is showing that more and more older consumers, not just young people anymore, are turning to buy now, pay later in the cost of living crisis for items as mundane as groceries. This has all reached an interesting inflection point now. A UK government consultation closing tonight at the time of recording will be deciding whether and how BNPL products should be regulated. So with all this, what advice is needed around BNPL? Should advisors be doing more debt teaching, aware that their clients' children may be using buy now, pay later? Perhaps, in fact, their clients are using buy now, pay later instead of drawing down their pensions, a quick fix for Christmas gifts, rather than cashing in their ISA, say. What do you actually do if your client mentions using a popular BNPL service? Or maybe our advisor's clients aren't using BNPL, but still, the general public are. How do we respond as a responsible financial services industry? We're joined in this discussion by our fantastic guests. We have Philip Bellamont. CEO and co-founder of Zilch, one of the UK's main BNPL providers, and advisor Matt Cross, who joins from Elmstone Financial Planning. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah thank you for having us on. It's great to be here. So we have a lot to cover, but let's dig into this a bit more. I'll start off with a simple question. Why are more consumers, Phil, maybe you can tell us, why are more consumers telling to buy now, pay later amid the cost of living crisis for normal purchases? Is it just young people or is it not? Okay, that, that's a, it's a fully loaded question, so yeah. <laughs> I, like it. I like it just off the bat. Maybe the best way to answer that question is to start by saying we need to appreciate, you know, is credit a force for good if it's done right? That's the first question we should ask ourselves, and I think it's a resounding, the answer is a resounding yes, right? Credit can be a force for good if you do it correctly, if you do it right. And that's why when you see the cost of goods going up, Obviously, you have to have people, you, you certainly always see people turn to credit to manage cash flow through such periods. So I think credit in general right now is something that would be in, in big demand because people are finding budgets tied to the need to manage cash flow. The thing that I would say is credit is traditionally very confusing to understand. All right. So let's take, for instance, APR. I bet that if you had to ask or do a survey of all listeners, there'd be a bunch of listeners that don't even know what the acronym stands for. Just think about that, right? Now let's talk about how you calculate APR. <laughs> you know, I'm not even sure if, if people joining us today on the call could tell us how to calculate APR. It is a very complex thing that frankly no one understands, all right? And, and the problem we really are facing is that in 1950, we had companies launch the first credit cards, 1950s, right? And nothing since then has changed about the model, except for the fact that we've loaded a trillion dollars across the US and the UK onto credit cards in debt. That's what's changed, right? 
And that's costing customers across the UK and the US almost 150 billion in fees and interest that they're paying to credit card companies every year. That's what's happened. That's the size of the problem. This is a pre-pandemic problem. It's a pre-cost of living crisis problem. This has been going on for years. And I think what's happening is that people are starting to take control of these finances. You know, people have got information at their fingertips these days. It's not like it used to be. You didn't walk into your bank branch and say, oh, you know, please, can I have a credit card? And they'd say, sure, the APR is 33.6%. And you'd go, well, that sounds reasonable. I'm not sure what it means, but it's okay. That's not what's going on here anymore. What's happening is people are genuinely looking at a purchase. They're looking at how to manage their cash flow. And they're saying, I want a product that is very simple to understand. I want to know what it costs. I want to understand how it works. And I want to be able to use it in a simplistic way, right? And I want to be able to use it for everyday purchases. I don't want to only be able to use this for a couch or a Peloton that I, you know, I turn into a clothing horse over a few months. And that's kind of what's happening. So when you think about BNPL, I think we are quite confused generally when we use the word uh, the acronym BNPL, I don't think people know what it actually means. So a lot of people have said, for instance, oh, but every form of credit is buy now, pay later. That's not true, right? If you look at BNPL, what is different about it? That's the real question. Why is it special? Why is it so popular? And the answer is actually quite simple. If you think about traditional credit, it's complicated, it's confusing, and a lot of it charges interest rates. If you think about BNPL, it's not just about installment payments. That is not new. It's been around forever. It is about the fact that retailers are subsidizing the cost of the credit for you and presenting it to the customer in a way that's clear and easy to understand and simple to use. And this is not for couches or fridges. This is for everyday purchases. Mm. And, and, and with products like Zilch, it's ubiquitous. You can use it everywhere. That is why it's new and interesting. This is the point people are missing. How do we take the 150 billion every year in fees and interest being paid to credit card companies and turn that into zero? How do we race that to zero? Zilch. And that's really the objective for us as a firm, but that really is what people are missing here. If we can take the ad budgets of brands and have those brands use their ad budgets to convert sales and therefore cover the cost of credit for customers, we can drive that 150 billion to zero. And in a cost of living crisis, there's no better time to do so. So this is the long answer, but maybe to come to the point, more and more people are using it. It is the best way to defer the cost of an item the world has seen in the last two decades. There is no doubt about it. Of course, what we need is we need it to be regulated, as of course Zilch as a firm already is, and we need all of the consumer protections you would expect to come along with that. And then I think we're going to find ourselves in a really good spot. So that's why people are using this product more so than ever before. And what changes have you seen in the last year, maybe among the cost of living crisis? Have you seen a change in the types of customers you have or the number of customers that are turning to buy now, pay later? Absolutely. I mean, what's interesting is a lot of people actually sort of dub this BNPL space, young millennial Gen Z customers. Now, of course, there are a lot of these types of customers using this product, but I think that is because information dissemination is far quicker to these customers because they're online all the time, right? They have their phone in their hand all the time. They are the smart ones. They have the information. What we are seeing, of course, in our customer base is that 
our largest uh, user base is between the age of 25 to 35. It's about 42% of our customers. But the next largest customer base is 35 to 45. And so interestingly, you've started to see more people filling into this bucket of customers or profile than you have done in the lower one. And so to come to your point, I think, Elisheva, is, is what you're saying is true, is this is not just for young millennial Gen Z. This is a product that people are discovering over time. And they're going, well, why would I put this onto my you know, credit card, which is at the average in the UK is about 30% APR plus mm. on credit cards. Mm. Why would I put this purchase onto a 42-day interest mm. interest-free product when I can use an installment payment product between 42 days and up to 90 days for free mm. with no um, interest rates? And Matt, as a financial advisor, are you concerned about this at all? How do, how do you respond to this? I think the reality from my side, right, if you can't afford to buy it in cash, you probably shouldn't buy it. It's like my kind of starting point with all this is if, if there's a product that you want and you can't actually afford it, then reconsider buying it. If you then need to buy it, I do think it's a good point that Philip makes around, you know, credit hasn't changed in so many years now. And actually, the interest rate is huge and people can get into position quite quickly where the interest they are paying is as much as they're paying off the credit card. And you can get in a really vicious cycle there, which can cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. So trying to shift away from that where people have a strategy to repay their credit, in my opinion, is, it is a good thing. You know, ideally it isn't in the first place, but if it is having some sort of strategy that says this is paid off in four installments and you don't pay a charge beyond that. It then comes down to budgeting and how that fits in with, you know, does it create a cycle of I've pushed this into the next month and then you push the next month into the next month. That's where it will be key and that's where regulation will help. Uh, mm. And the, actually, I like the fact that Zilch does credit checks and that's, uh, that's, a, that's a key start as well is that, you know, there's there's a few out there where you can buy stuff, put it off and get credit without any checks, which to me seems insane, right? That that should never happen. So the fact there is credit checks is, a, is also a, a good place to be. But the reality is people put stuff on credit cards. People, people do buy stuff and then pay it off in a future date. And actually rethinking that model is good. And, you know, when you look at a mortgage, if someone just said, here's, you know, 250 grand go buy a house and kind of you can pay it off a minimum installments or you can pay it off at a set rate over 25 years there will be a lot of people that would pay off minimum installments i would have thought mm. and well yeah. phil can you when would you say or zelch turn a client over to an advisor what's your relationship with kind of responsibility to a client that might be using buy now pay later irresponsibly obviously you, you do have credit checks which like as matt noted is not necessarily the norm so how do you handle your responsibility yeah. like that? Well, maybe before I answer that, just one comment on what Matt was saying, because I kind of, I absolutely agree with the first part of the first sentence he said, but not the second bit, which is, you know, if you can't afford to buy something, I agree with. For cash, I completely disagree with. I just don't think that makes any sense. You know, so should we say to everyone, no, you can have the home, you can move in in 25 years once you paid for it, no, you're not going to take the train to see your sick mother because you haven't paid for it. I think what we need to be careful with here is we need to look and say, guys, this is where Matt's correct. He's spot on where he says, if you cannot afford it, I think that's the important statement. I can afford something by actually drawing down my future cash flow and paying for it over time. But I can't give you all of the cash today. 
I can afford it, right? And that is the critical thing here. Cash upfront makes no sense, but can I afford it? Absolutely makes sense. And I think that starts to speak to affordability checks, using open banking, reciprocal reporting. You need to be doing these things so that we can ensure people can in fact afford to defer the cost of this item and actually draw down on their future earnings to repay. And so that's what's critical. Yeah. And so how do you track that? When would you when would you maybe recommend that a client use use a kind of official advice service? So for us, I mean, the first the first thing is, as you've said, when the customer enters the product, you need to be doing a credit check of some kind. You need to be doing that. So whether it's a soft or hard check these days, frankly, is slightly the same information, right? You need to be doing an affordability check. You need to link open banking where possible so that you can take a bit of a wider view of things. And then most importantly, and this is what the regulator has been pushing for, you also need to reciprocate, you need to report back on what happens. So otherwise you're creating blind spots for future lending uh, on other services. So you need to be doing that. Now with Zilch, what we do is customers basically, so, so our product runs for 42 days. Customers uh, have the ability to snooze installments for free along the way. And they can also snooze their final installment for free. We're about to introduce a 90-day product as well. So customers would be able to move from a 42-day product to a 90-day product, assuming they have the affordability to do so. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is, is that if customers don't repay on time, the system doesn't allow them to continue using the product. So in other words, you should not be continuing to lend to somebody if they cannot afford to repay what they've already borrowed. And this is where payday lenders got themselves in into this and their customers into big trouble, right? Refinancing, I think, was the word they all used to use. Mm. And do That's you not going to fly. And do you have any kind of pathway for recommending financial advice particularly? That's just what I'm curious in. Yes, we do. So, so, so what we do is, so we report against this when the customer moves into delinquency and then we give the customer a period of time to cure. So what you find is, is that life happens, okay? It just happens. So something goes wrong, the boiler breaks, you know, the, the tire, it's just life happens. And so we give people a period of time after the 42 days have expired to cure their position. They can use our pay in one debit product over that time. And so while they're doing that, they can use the affiliate commissions they earn to pay down the, the credit they owe. Or they can obviously log in at any time and repay this on their own. They can get hold of us at this point and they can obviously let us know if they're in financial distress, in which case we'll come up with a payment plan that has zero interest of any kind for them. And those range between uh, three, six and nine months. If that does not work for them, we can then hand them off to a partner of ours called Step Change, uh, one of the UK's largest debt charities. And basically this is where they would be able to access free advice and find a way for themselves to basically build their, their position back out of the uh, the problem that they're in. Mm. And so it's at that point. So it's approximately at about the 90-day mark for our 42-day product that we would start to move off to um, step change based on all of this happening. Right. How does that sound to you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, that that's a... I guess, again, it's kind of a, a better way to be than some of the other credit cards where you can go and try and find a different credit card lender and, you know, get more there. But I guess in a reasonable sense, that's as much as you kind of can do is say, look, here's a, an additional repayment period. Meet that. If you can't meet that, then get someone involved. You know, is there actually much more you can do beyond that? I, I, I'm not sure there is. 
it's very tough, like you say, Matt. I mean, you think about, you, you bring up credit cards and it's a good point that you raise. So you think about, I'm not sure if you, you all on this call knew that over 50% of all credit cards being issued in the UK are for balance transfers, all right? Now, what's interesting about this is that I, I go and I default pretty much on my one card, right? So I'm on a high interest rate and I'm tired of paying that interest. So I should have the right to move off of this card and that's fantastic. And what happens is another credit card company comes along and says to me, no problem, transfer your debt to me and I'll give you a period of up to 36 months because everyone got a bit carried away on this one. I'll give you up to 36 months that's interest free. And I think that sounds like a good deal. So I move across my balance to this new credit card company. But I think we all know that credit card companies are not in the, they're not charities, all right? So why are they doing this? Why are they so nice? And the reason that they're doing this is because they move the balance over, they then reassess me. And the first thing, of course, they will do is look and say, can we lend this person some more money? That's what happens, right? And so what they then do is they say, right, you're going to need some, some balance to spend on this card. So you've got your transferred balance, but you're paying that down, you're overdrawn. So we're going to give you some more money. We're going to give you a thousand pounds as an example balance. The difference is this balance, of course, attracts interest. And so as the customer begins repaying their credit card, I want you guys to guess, where do you think they apportion that repayment? Do you think they put it towards the free interest money or do you think they put it against the, the money that's going to revolve into an interest rate? I couldn't tell you. They take it away from the free money. Mm. So the 36 months that you have for free, when you start to repay the capital, they start to remove it from the portion that they've given you the 36 months for free, not from the other piece they've lent you that's going to start revolving and costing you an interest rate because credit card companies make money from interest. And so really what you have is loan stacking. It's almost a beautiful way of refinancing people and loan stacking. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, it makes no sense. So, you know, so for me, again, I look at it and I say, BNPL doesn't solve all of the world's problems. There's no doubt about that. But I think we need to be really, really careful when people are looking at traditional ways of borrowing that have frankly cost us billions and billions and billions. It's no state secret, but for, no, for some reason, no one's talking about it. So I just think mm. we need to be really aware of this. Mm, fascinating. And how does the current consultation fit? into all of this? I mean, Matt, what would you like to see from um, the government consultation on BNPL? How do you think that consumers should be protected? And, or is there a risk of overregulation? What do you think? I mean, no, I, I think for, the, for this, for the starting point here is looking at the, the places that don't even do credit checks, like, uh, and, and, I, and surely start there, because if you can have huge amounts of money on credit cards and ma have those maxed out, yet still go online and purchase using the three-month repayment plan on, on, on another product when you have no more ability to use credit cards. That, that would seem insane to me that that can be allowed. So if regulation can help improve that, um, would be a good thing. I mean, you know, whether there is, I think step change is also a good place to be in. I, and I'm not sure whether actually as part of regulation, if you hit a, a limit, you have to speak to someone about the debt that you have. I mean, even on my credit cards, I look at, the balance I could put on credit cards and it is a ridiculous amount of money that I should, that I would be unbelievably scared if I ever had that value on credit cards. Yeah, I'm the, the, you know, the credit card companies are more than happy for me to have that, which also just seems a bit insane to me, to be quite honest. Mm. So whether actually the numbers and the borrowing ability is, 
actually the calculations are wrong. The formula is wrong because that person shouldn't be able to have right. that credit cards. And well, from Zilch's perspective, because I know you've been working with on the consultation um, to some degree, what, what, what would you like to see? What do you hope to see from the consultation's decisions? So, so the consultation, obviously, you know, as we know, the moral of the story here is that these are debt instruments, so they should just be regulated. Like, it's just as simple as that. I mean, so, so obviously, the FCA is absolutely doing the right thing. Uh, one of the most forward-thinking regulators, at least, we've ever worked with, there's no doubt about that. So they, they're basically just saying, look, this is credit. It's consumer credit. It should be regulated because customers should have the protections they would expect, right? Which is, if I fall into financial distress, what do I do? Can I get hold of you? Is there some way for me to complain to the ombudsman? All of these things should just be there. It's like table stakes. We're not sure why it is that anyone believed that shouldn't be the case. So, so that's what the regulators doing. They're like, okay, we recognize, firstly, we recognize this isn't going away. We recognize that customers see great value in this. And therefore we need to bring it under the regulated regime so that customers are protected. So, so, so we think that's great. One of the things, um, you know, that Matt has said, I think, you know, that's important is basically you have a couple of, a number of businesses, in fact, mostly all of them in this space, except for us, that are operating in the exemption today, some of which have built a business model that arbitrages regulation. In other words, they don't have enough margin and haven't set themselves up to comply. And if they had to go now comply with regulation, you might find that their margins are too thin to accommodate this. And effectively, what I mean is they've been underpricing risk, plugging it with VC capital, and their model is actually upside down. All right. So the regulator will weed those ones out as well, because the problem is it creates overlending to consumers and the consumer sits carrying the can when, frankly, this entity should never have lent to them. They just had too much VC capital sloshing around and they thought they'd give it to you. So I think that's what's going on here. And that's why we're looking forward certainly to this coming in. It's better for the entire market. You did mention one thing which is important, and that is overregulation. I think we do need to be careful here that we don't drive customers back to high cost credit. The one thing that this product does do, it democratizes access to free and affordable credit, right? We, we just also can't turn a blind eye to the fact that we have an inverse pyramid problem here, guys. You know, the, the cheapest capital and the best access to capital is reserved for the wealthy. And unfortunately, people who really need the cash find it to be the most expensive and the hardest to access. And the problem is that means these people have got less options. And so if you go and overregulate the space, meaning that providers have to completely tighten rules in terms of how they underwrite or bring customers on, you're going to drive these customers back to high cost credit because there are no other options. And that's what we need to avoid. So, so for me, you know, that's going to be paramount here is let's not, let's not overregulate the space. But frankly, I think Zilch has already proved that you can actually go and operate within the regulation today and you can do so profitably. So we've sort of set a blueprint that we hope is going to stand to be a good example of what others can follow. It is possible. You can do affordability on every single loan. And, and, and just on that, coming back to Matt's point earlier, I really liked his comment around balances on credit cards. You know, if you think about it this way, you have to take someone's monthly affordability and basically multiply it by the term of the loan, right? So, and that gives someone an appropriate balance. Yeah. So, Matt, what should a financial advisor do if they see a client or a client's family members using 
buy now, pay later. How do you balance care for your client, but, you know, allowing your client to use their money how they want? How can people incorporate buy now, pay later into financial practices sensibly, you know, if, if it is such a big part of the economy now? It all comes down to a budget. Like, and I kind of, to go back to your point, Philip, around you can afford it next month or the month after, that's where they, they fit in. As long as that person knows that they can then afford it the month after, and, and it's all going well if you're someone that is educated around this and has a budget and knows what they can afford, it's fine. But the worry is that in the next month, something else comes up and actually they now can't afford the other thing. So that goes on to a buy now, pay later. And then in the future, it can be repaid. And then the next month, something else comes up. Whereas actually, if you can kind of get ahead in the first place and put cash away, you've then got savings. So I think that there's a bigger education piece around this um, in that if I kind of came across clients using it as a, a useful tool, it can be. But as long as there is the budget to know that it is affordable, and, and I guess for, like you said, it comes down to what's affordable. As long as it is something that is affordable, and it doesn't get out of hand and problems are just getting put off until the follow next month and the next month and the next month. That'd be the main thing. It's just, you know, very simple budgeting. The educational piece around real simple budgeting. So you, an advisor, are sitting at a dinner table and people talk about buy now, pay later. What do you, what do you, what do you say? My initial thought is, look, really assess if you need to purchase that. Mm. If you are buying something on a buy now, pay later, really do assess whether that is a purchase that needs to be made. And that's still the point that you're coming away with? Yeah. Mm. Phil, I mean, any last rejoinders? I, I would second that with what Matt said. And if you're going to put anything on any credit, you should really think about it. And, and, and hopefully one day in the world of AI and all of the sophistication we have in technology these days, and I'd like to think we're leading the way at Zilch doing this, maybe one day you're not going to have to think so hard about it. Right, because the institutions providing you the propositions will be aligned with you and not against you. In other words, not credit card companies. They do not want you to repay on time. They want to revolve you into debt. If you have institutions that benefit from you paying on time every time over a fixed period and for a transparent amount of money that's not complicated to, to define, APRs need to go away. You know, then then basically we can put all of this intelligence to work and, and an app could tell you, hey, this is what you can afford over the next few months, given the cash flow that you have. If we take a look at your open banking and assess, you know, what you're earning and how often you're earning it and, and, and when. So, you know, so for me, I think it's all just got to be very logical. What is it that you can genuinely afford? You need to, of course, take the decision and be careful with it. And it needs to be regulated so that if something goes wrong, there will always be companies who take advantage of people. And if something goes wrong, people need the protection. So more uh, affordability, would... more, more affordability education and, you know, and more regulation. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of the consultation on that front, I think. So this has been so enjoyable. Thank you both. It's definitely paid off now, not later for me. Apologies for the awful pun. <laughs> but that's the note that we're going to end on. Thank you so much, Philip and Matt, for taking the time to speak with us. And thank you, listener, for listening. Until next time, take care. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams 
who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 